there was one announcement that is most critical that was failed to be mentioned. And in mentioning this, you see, this will distinguish the difference between the care and the wisdom of old people and whatever you call it of young guys. There was a granddaughter born into the congregation this weekend. Pete and Carrie's Julia was born to Scott and Grace. Once again, it just proves. We may look like we don't know what's happening, but we do. Us old people. So congratulations to Pete and Carrie and to Scott and Grace. Are we on yet? We're ready to turn us on that CD? Well, good morning. Good to see you here with us this morning as we turn to Exodus chapter 7. And by the way, if I inadvertently say Genesis, sometimes my mind is more on Genesis than it is on other books. I realize that as we speak this morning, as every morning, and this is a good thing, God has really blessed us in this, that there are usually several among us who are visiting. And so for the sake of those of you who are visiting, just want to try to catch up a moment in where we are and what we're doing. We're currently in the study of the book of Exodus, which probably should be pretty obvious by now since we've said turn to chapter 7. And Exodus, if you missed the movie of Charlton Heston and the Ten Commandments, you remember that Exodus is an account, a history. It's an actual historical event that happened a whole long time ago. And the question is this, why in the world do we need to read it and why do we need to know about it? Why is it stuck in the Bible at all? Well, you see, in this history, God is recording for us truth, revelation, experience that we need to know without which we would be weakened in our understanding of him and of what he's doing. So it's real history, but it's it's God's history. So as we go through it this morning, let's make sure we are seeing more than just a story about an event that happened a long time ago, because that story, that event, is right where we live today. And so where are we? In Genesis chapter 3, verse 10, remember the Lord called Moses unto himself up to the side of the mountain of Sinai, the burning bush. You remember, Moses said, I need to see what is going on. This bush is burning, but it is not being consumed. This is not the normal thing. I just have to see what's happening. So Moses comes before the presence of the Lord. 
And in the conversation, the Lord tells Moses, Moses, I am going to free my people Israel from their enslavement in Egypt. And that's what Exodus is about. God's activity of freeing his people from their bondage. Hey, after some conversation and some building Moses up and you know, dealing with some issues of not me, somebody else, and whatever. Moses and Aaron returned to Egypt. And they really returned to Egypt. You see, they've already, they went, they left God's presence and went to Egypt, met Pharaoh, told Pharaoh what was happening. Pharaoh said, and Moses, you know, his hopes are dashed. You see, because Moses left the presence of God with the full expectation of success. But what had happened was that he had forgotten something else of the promise of God that occurred in chapter 4. The Lord did say, I'm going to free my people. I'm going to use you. But then in chapter 4, he also said, don't be surprised, Moses, because the conflict, the struggle is not going to go the way you at least initially hope it will because Pharaoh's not going to let him go. He's not going to let these people go. Moses forgot that. So he goes down. Pharaoh did exactly what God said he would do. He didn't let the people go. You see, Moses' initial meeting with Pharaoh went exactly as the Lord promised, but not as Moses expected. Does that say something to you about your situation The meeting went exactly as the Lord promised. But what was the problem? The problem wasn't with the Lord's promise. The problem was with Moses' expectation, even in the face of God's clear word, that this is going to be more than just one meeting. Oh, I let the people go. Let them go. This is going to be a battle. See, because in Exodus 5.22, Moses returns to the Lord defeated, disappointed, confused. And he says to the Lord, why did you send me? What's going on? I believe that's where many of us have been, and maybe some of us are here this morning, and this is where you are. Disappointed. You're confused. You feel defeated. You might even be angry with God. Because you see, in your mind, the Lord hasn't come through. He didn't do what he said he would do. And so this morning, hopefully, as we go through this, some of us will be instructed by the Holy Spirit as to what God is really doing. So in chapter 6, you see, rather than upbraiding and punishing Moses and putting him in the corner... Because he, lack of faith, bad Moses, the Lord builds him up. He encourages him. He reiterates his promise. And now Moses is ready. So that brings us to our passage this morning. Moses is now ready for the greatest conflict. And what we see here, we're going to see 
that God is going to use a man to confront Pharaoh, the God of Egypt. And in doing this, the Lord is pointing to another day when he will appoint another man to confront Satan, the God of this world. You see what's happening here. What's happening in Exodus is a picture pointing forward to what will happen that will complete the work that Exodus is beginning. Father, as we read your word, Father, this morning, build up our faith. Encourage us. Father, we look at the landscape of this world, and Father, it seems as if, and it is, everything is going to hell in a handbasket. Father, it looks like nothing's working right. And yet, everything is working according to your schedule and according to your prophesied word and according to your promise. Father, this world is not becoming unraveled as far as your ability is concerned. So, Father, anchor us. Anchor us in this word this morning so that when we face this evil demon in our lives, we may be able to accomplish through your spirit what Moses, by your power, accomplishes. Teach us this morning. Encourage us. Build us up in Jesus' name. Amen. So let the battle begin. Let the battle begin. The chapter 7 begins this way in verse 2. I know it begins verse 1, but I want to start verse 2. And the Lord is speaking to Moses, and this is what he's telling Moses. You might follow along in your own Bible. Genesis, Exodus chapter 7, verse 2. And the Lord saying to Moses, you shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of this land. I'll skip a few pieces of it. I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then, then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. Look at verse 5. Make sure you see verse 5. Why? The Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh, that I am Yahweh, the name of Israel's God. When I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Here is our call, church. Here is our call. 
is to be ready, be prepared, do what is necessary, recognize, face, and then be used by God to defeat all the schemes of the devil. Why? So that slimy, slippery serpent and this culture which he controls may know this. Oh, yes, you think this and you think that and you make this law and you say that and you come against that and you're going to take to court this group and you're going to make fun of that. You can do all of that. But there's coming a day when this Yahweh will return in power and then all the world will know what we know that Jesus Christ is the Lord you see that's what's going on you be encouraged this morning be ready for the battle be built up look at that phrase I have made you like God to Pharaoh isn't it unusual? I made you like God to Pharaoh. Why? Because you see, Moses is going to be participating in the greatest spiritual conflict of the Old Testament that will be eclipsed only by one other conflict which will occur in the New Testament. And this is what the Lord is, I think, intimating to Moses. Moses, this is not just you freeing a bunch of slaves. It's just not you bringing people's rights to bear. It's just not you making life more comfortable to those who have been in difficulty. This is way beyond that. This is a conflict of the cosmos. This is the greatest spiritual conflict until another man comes. See, this is the contest between heaven and earth. It's a contest between two gods. It's a contest between Yahweh and it's a contest between Satan, the god of this world. By the way, if you don't know where the god of this world, if that phrase is from, Take down 2 Corinthians 4, 4. The God of this world. That's what it's called in 2 Corinthians 4, 4. You see, this is a cosmic contest of monumental proportions. What's at stake? The name of God. What's at stake? The integrity of God. What's at stake? The image of God. That's what's at stake there. What's at stake in our lives? What's at stake in my life and in your life when we are facing this world's culture that says, hey, chill out. Don't be upset. Don't be so uptight. Relax. Do a few things. Have a few things. It's okay. It'll be okay. (laughs) 
you better be sniffing out the breath of Satan in that common terminology. Because you see, it's not okay. Except you be led by the Holy Spirit. It's not okay. You see, this contest is going to demonstrate who will rule on earth. Who will rule the hearts of men. Either the creator God or this usurper, Satan. This one who has rebelled against the glory of God and the rule of God. This is a cosmic contest. Listen to what the apostle Paul says, how he describes it in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. And you see, as we talk about this, here's my, here's my great concern for the church, for us, we, today, here. We hear this, and we've heard the scriptures, and we've read the accounts, and we may have even seen the movie, but we don't take it seriously. Hmm. We don't take it seriously. If you took it seriously, we would be in our word much more than we are. If you took it seriously, we'd be in prayer much more than we are. If you took it seriously, we'd be in this service much more than we are when there's an availability, when you're not broken down or out of town. If we took it seriously, Covenant groups would be filled. We don't take it seriously enough. And as a result, the enemy is wreaking havoc in many lives in this church today. It is not sufficient just to say, Lord, deliver, Lord, deliver, and help me and do this and that, and not Participate with the Holy Spirit in the means of that deliverance. Can somebody say amen? amen? Now, today I'm being very calm. I'm not raising my voice. But don't take the lack of voice to mean a lack of significance. So listen to what the Paul, Paul says. Ephesians 6.12 for we do not wrestle. What? Do we do not what? What, 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 what word is that? Just what, 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 what? We do not what? We do not just kind of have a little whatever. Oh, We don't wrestle. This is a fight to the death. As far as Satan is concerned, we do not wrestle, he said, against flesh and blood. Your problem isn't your mom and them, your wife or your husband or the pastors or any one person or thing in the natural. That is never the problem. It may be the means, it may be an avenue or a path or a particular tool, but it is being administered by something else. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but what against rulers? against the authorities, against cosmic powers, over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenlies. This is what is happening today, church. Be sober-minded. 
Hollywood has one purpose, and that is to undermine the church of Jesus Christ, using entertainment and fun to hook us and hook our children. Don't be stupid. Be wise. Be knowledgeable. Be careful. Paul says, walk circumspectly. Every step you take, he says, watch what you're stepping in. By defeating Pharaoh, the Lord will show that he reigns supreme over all the affairs of the earth. But I want you to notice how God will go about defeating Pharaoh. This is instructive for us very much. How will he do it? The Lord is not going to defeat Pharaoh unilaterally. Do you know what I mean by unilaterally? Alone, by himself. God is not going down to Egypt, throwing Pharaoh off the throne, unlocking all the gates of the prisons, all the slaves are being freed, and now we're going to be free. That's not how it's happening. This is the Lord's way of doing things upon the earth. He uses his servants together with God for the defeating of the enemy. See, this is why we have in verse 6 of chapter 7, Moses and Aaron, what, did so, did as they were commanded, go down. They did just as the Lord commanded them. And this is what we hear in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. This is what Paul tells us. He says that through the church, the manifold wisdom, the power, the glory, the rule, the supremacy, the sovereignty, the reigning majesty of God might be made known how? To the rulers, rather, how? And the authorities in the heavenlies through the church. Philippians 2.13 tells us the same thing. For God is at work in us, both to what? Work and to do according to his will. So this is a cooperative venture. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.9, for we are God's fellow workers. So you see, you have not been birthed into the church to be a pew sitter. I just go on Sunday, man, that's enough for me. And, uh, you know, that I, I think you need to think your salvation out again. Or at least the effect of it and the purpose of it. Could it be that some of the things that are happening in your family and in your life are because you are not a fellow worker with God through the church? This is God's way of dealing with issues. And this is the key to how Pharaoh is overcome. It's the key to how Pharaoh is overcome. Why? Why? Because in this cooperative conflict, Moses and Aaron cooperating with God as his instruments, you will be as God to Pharaoh. The Lord is showing the big, big truth of the gospel. 
that there is another man coming who will be cooperating with all the work and the will of God. And through this man's absolute comprehensive obedience, God will win the day over Satan. How many of you are glad that such a man was here? How many of you are glad that man didn't say, you know, I'm, I'm kind of tired today. I'm kind of tired. I got stuff on my calendar. I'm kind of busy. I, I just don't find the, the desire like you used to. Thank God for the men in this book who have shaken heaven and earth that those were not their issues of sin. So what's going to happen? Let's look at chapter 5, verse 8. Moses, sorry, the Lord explains to Moses what he's about to do. Here, Moses, here how I'm, this is how I'm going to do it. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves, prove it, prove it. You say you're a believer, prove it. You say you trust God, prove it. You say you're going to walk in obedience, prove it. Prove yourselves by working a miracle. Then you will say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants and became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers. You see, it's like Pharaoh's like the king of the magic kingdom here. And he summoned his wise men and sorcerers and the magicians of Egypt. You see, the magic. And also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff and they became servants. But what happened? Zach, what happened? Aaron's staff did what? Swallowed up all the staffs of the magicians. Amen? Swallowed up. Underline it in your Bible. Swallowed up. He swallowed them. This staff, this serpent, swallowed up. All of the opposition, the pride, the destructive, he swallowed it all up. This one that was cast down, he swallowed it up. Now, look, look, let's just think about it. You are Moses and you're being told by God you're going to stand before Pharaoh. Now, remember who Pharaoh is. He is, this is their theology, a living God. This is their theology. This is why you, you wind up with the 10th plague. He is a living God. His son will become the next living God. Remember the big tombs and all that? He is the ruler of the known world with a flick of his finger no telling what he could do to you. With a blink of his eye. What power. What power. <laughs> and 
and Moses comes before him with a stick in his hand. Now, come on. Thank you for laughing. It is. It's ludicrous. Isn't it ludicrous, Keith? It's ludicrous. I mean, this is stupid. He comes before Moses, I mean, Pharaoh with what? Josh? A stick in his hand. I don't know how Pharaoh didn't first fall off the throne with laughter. You're coming with, you know how many chariots and have you seen my, have you seen all that? And you have a stick? Isn't this what the world says about the gospel in our lives? Foolish, stupid people. For the preaching of the word is foolishness. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. They are always going to accuse us and think of us as foolish, silly dopes. Thank God. Because that puts the burden on the one on whose shoulders it needs to be. You may be facing someone in your own life, a situation, a person. Take the stick of God that he gives to you in the gospel and be used by the Holy Spirit to do in that situation what Moses, by the Spirit's power, will do in this one. You know, what's the big deal about sticks and staffs? I mean, so what? You see, the staff or the rod or the stick is still this way, but in those days it was a symbol of authority, a rule of leadership. In Genesis chapter 49:10, it calls the ruler's staff shall not depart from what's the name of the tribe now? Help me to remember, it just it went right like that, out of my mind. Judah, thank you. It's gone. There it is. Thank you. The staff shall not leave his hand until Shiloh, until the one whose right it is, who comes. Then you see the rule will go into that man's hand. It's a rule. It's an authority issue. It's a symbol of authority. We sang this this morning. Do we have a stick in our hands? Do we have a, an authority in our hand? You've heard these words, wherefore also God has given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of that at the name of, and at the name of Jesus, what? Every what? Knee shall bow of things in the heavens, the rulers, things upon the earth, and things underneath the earth. That ain't the rest of it. I mean, that's not all of it. And every what? Tongue shall confess. When he says every tongue, he's even talking about Satan's tongue. Every tongue shall what? It shall, shall confess what? That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Philippians 2. 
8 through 11? Or is it 9 through 11? What is our stick? The name of Jesus. Listen to this. Acts 3. Peter and John are going to the hour of prayer in the temple as they were, that was their custom. There's a lame man begging for money, never walked all his life. And he's asking for a handout. You have any money? Money. Peter stops. And he says, look at me. Boy, I'm going to get some money today. I am going to get some serious change. This guy has got some money. He's ready to put some money in my pocket. And Peter whips out the stick of Jesus' authority. And what does he say? In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Remember that in chapter 3 of Acts? And what does verse 8 say? We used to sing it. And he went walking and leaping and praising God. Walking and leaping and praising God. Right? You see, Peter had a stick. We have a stick. We have a gospel. We have a name. Moses confronting Pharaoh with a stick in his hand reminds me of another man who confronted another giant with a rock in his hand. I mean, Goliath is nine and a half feet tall. He's even bigger than Terrence McCracken. Some of you know Terrence. Terrence is this big thing over here who's not here this morning. Terrence is 6'5". This guy is nine and a half feet tall. I mean, could the pelicans use him? <laughs> We'd have 10,000 points, and Phil, they wouldn't have enough anything. Can you imagine that? And he's laid down with all this armament. What a picture of the opposition of Satan against the armies of the God of Israel in 1 Samuel 17. Then listen to David. You see, David is incensed. Here's one of the weaknesses that we have as a church. We don't get angry enough over what Satan is doing in our lives and the lives of other people. We don't get angry enough. This man is in, in sense. Who is this uncircumcised beast who defies in the name of the Lord of hosts? Who is this David's not sitting and cowering in the corner and whimpering. He hears that man's blasphemy, and he doesn't go hide. He doesn't call somebody. He doesn't ask his representative to do something. He doesn't go out in the street and hold a banner that they shouldn't say that or they shouldn't do this. This man rises up, and in his hand is the power of God against that demon. 
And David says to the Philistine, hmm, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. Ah, <laughs> but I come to you in the name of the Lord, Yahweh of hosts. For the battle is Yahweh's, and he will give you into my hand. And David put his hand in his bag and took out the stone and slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell down on his face to the ground. And then David, you remember, went over to this giant, took the sword out of its sheath, and he cut the head of the demon off. No more authority from that big mouth. We're not angry enough, church. We're not radical enough. Don't call me radical. You don't know what radical is until you face this demon. You don't know what intensity is until this one has an upper hand in your life. This old man up here is milk toast compared to what this demon can do. We're not radical enough. We're not angry enough. We're not serious enough. Don't we know that there is a day that is right on us today? <clears throat> that the culture is now walking around as a roaring lion, seeking who it may devour. You think that's not happening? Anybody, you're blind and you're deaf and you haven't been seeing? We're right there. We're right there. And that culture is going to begin or continue in some lives to swallow people in the church up and swallow up their children and their families unless we become God's kind of people. Way too casual. Way too casual. In 2 Corinthians 10.4, the Apostle Paul gives us a definition of what this stick is, Jack. For the weapons of our warfare are not sticks and stones and out of the flesh, but are divinely empowered to the pulling down of strongholds. So now the battle begins. You see, Pharaoh knew that this was a test of his authority on earth. So how does he begin? He begins with his own test. Show me. You say you come from God? You say you believe in Jesus? You say your God can whatever? And, and show, show me. Show me. You remember the first test of God's authority in the Bible? Genesis what? What did the enemy say? Hath God said? Hath God said, Judy? I mean, show me. You think so? We're always going to be tested and confronted by this demon. So Moses said, okay, I'll show you. You want to see if my God is greater than your God? 
Christians, let's not want to run away from the conflict. Let's run into the conflict. Show me. Tommy, you're a believer? <laughs> Show me. Show me. So Moses said, okay, I'll show you. Look at verse 10 and following. Eliel, he's going to show him. So Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. I've been to the magic kingdom too. I can do that too. I can do all that. Then Pharaoh summoned his wise men and sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, did the same thing with their serpents, their, their secret arts. Each man cast down a staff and they became serpents. What? Man, now we got a little thing going and who's going to win this battle? And it's 10 against 1 and da 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 Oh, oh my God. Oh, what happened to my serpents? You see, God's authority swallowed up Satan's authority. God's authority through his obedient people swallowed up Pharaoh's authority through his people. God is using Moses and Aaron. Pharaoh is using his magicians. If we had been in slavery in Egypt... Would we have been happy over this? Hmm? Yeah. This would have been a great day. Because you see, this day, this act, signals the sure defeat of this Pharaoh, this ruler over Egypt. Well, what does this mean for us? As I said in the beginning in 1 Corinthians 10, 6, Paul says, these things <clears throat> took place as examples for us. We're supposed to learn something about our own lives in Christ and our own conflict. Conflicts between husbands and wives. May I say this again and again and again. The conflict between the husband and the wife is not because of what the husband did or the wife did or what he should have or what shouldn't have. The conflict is about God's authority and rule and glory in that marriage as the enemy uses sin. So the conflict must be dealt with on the basis spiritually. In this contest of the confrontation of a ruling man, the Lord is showing us that a man has already confronted and swallowed up the authority of the God of this world. It's already happened. See, Matthew 4.1 tells us, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And you remember the temptations. Jesus, God's man on earth, <clears throat> goes out to confront Satan the Pharaoh. And Satan throws down the gauntlet to Pharaoh. I'm sorry, to a Moses. Show me. 
And Jesus goes into the wilderness and Satan begins to say, have, have, you know, why don't you make some bread over here? Why don't you go up to the top of that temple and throw yourself off? Look at all the worlds. I'll give them to you. Test, test, test. In each one, Jesus wins. So what does verse 10 say of Matthew 4? What was the triumphant call of Jesus? Satan what? I can't hear you. Somebody read it. Be gone. He cast him out. And then for three years, Jesus shows us what it means for Satan to be continually cast out until we come to the fruition and the climax of the conflict. When on the cross, in his dying moments, having suffered the payment and the penalty of the wrath and fury of an angry God, of an insulted God, of a usurped God over sin, having come to the end of the conflict, you see these words in John 19, 30. What, is they, what do they say? It is finished. It is finished. You see, at the cross, Jesus fulfilled all that was typified in this throne room confrontation in Exodus 7. You see, because in the death of Jesus, the enemy's authority over God's people, how much of that authority? How much of the enemy's authority over us? How much? I mean, do you think it's almost all? How much, Tad? Come on, Thaddeus, how much? All of it. He swallows it all up. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, 13 to 15. He's talking to the church. And you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. But God made together us, together with Christ, having alive. God has made us alive together with Christ, having forgiven us all our sin. Now stop there for a moment in verse 13. I remember years ago, 1974, <clears throat> I had my old Bible. It's falling apart now. I can't use it anymore. And I came across that word, all. And man, I felt a trumpet went off in my heart. I took my red ink pen and circled that how much of our sin has been? I like the big mouth over there. You didn't even let me finish. I like that. How much of the sin? Do you really believe it? You see, Satan wants to deceive you. 
either Jesus did swallow up all our sin or he did not. Either it is finished or it is not. I don't see any wiggle room, any gray area in this. Do any of you see any wiggle room in this? You see, the basis of our authority with God and against Satan is not anything about me or you. It's everything about what Jesus has accomplished and now gives to us by the Holy Spirit, having forgiven us all trespasses. How? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us, all the things that we did wrong. Oh, look at you. You did that wrong. You did that wrong. You did that wrong. Canceling it out. He set it aside, how? By nailing it to the cross. All of our sin has been nailed to the cross of Christ. And then he did this. He disarmed. He swallowed up the rulers and the authorities, and he put them to an open shame, triumphing over them. In other words, it's a picture of the conquering general with his foot on the head of those whom he has conquered. First John 3.8 says this, For the Son of God has appeared for this purpose. What purpose? That he might destroy the work of the evil one. You see that in Egypt. You see that in Egypt. You see, at the cross, Jesus swallows up Satan's authority to rule over us and to inflict us with the final penalty of death. I don't mean physical death. We're talking about spiritual death and then coming a day when there will be no more physical death. Listen to what Hebrews 2.14 says at the end of it. That through death, Jesus, when he died, might destroy the one who has the power of death, and that is the devil. See, this is what God is showing us in Moses' staff, swallowing up the staffs of the others. This is why we can be encouraged. This is why we can be emboldened. This is why we can be equipped. Because, you see, when Moses approaches Pharaoh, when we approach our issues or those who oppose the gospel, we, like Moses, are not approaching it in order to get to win the day. We are approaching it in the victory that has been won before the foundation of the world. The moment you hear these words, in the beginning, God, the moment those words are spoken, God had already won all the victory. He doesn't win the victory because I'm good or bad or better or whatever. He wins the victory at the cross. <clears throat> and then he begins to bring us into the good of that and allow us and use that to walk in the experience of what he has already accomplished for us and is accomplishing in us in Jesus Christ. You see, today, we are not so much 
experiencing cultural shift. Ooh, cultural shift. That's not what's happening. We are experiencing a spiritual earthquake. That Satan hopes to shake and to weaken the church from its testimony of declaring the glory of God. But guess what? I think I heard these words from someone one time. But in those days, I will shake everything. So in this shaking of this culture, hoping to dismantle the church and destroy the church and capture the church and do whatever to us, this fool doesn't know it. But there is a God who is using him as his instrument to shake away his, Satan's authority and bring in the ruling authority of his son from heaven. So what about us today? See, the power of the gospel that overcomes Pharaoh is still the power of the gospel that overcomes the God of this world. It's the same stick. It's the same stick. And here's what the Bible tells us. Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Whoever, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. There may be some in this audience and your life has been swallowed up by Satan and he is right now digesting you in the poisonous juices of his malevolence. You're his dinner. You may never have experienced the life-giving freedom light and joy of the salvation that God provides for us because of the cross. Here's what you don't want to happen. You don't want to leave this world in the stomach of Satan because you'll spend all eternity with him. The Bible says he's cast into the lake of fire in the end day. And everybody who's in Satan's going in there with him. But you came this morning and the Lord knew you were coming and the Lord wanted to tell you, hey, it's time for you to stop letting Satan digest you. It's time to let me apply the victory of my son when I swallowed up Satan's authority over you it's time for you to call upon me so I can rescue you. You may say, hey, it doesn't feel like it. I think we all are well aware that we can have a disease in our body and we not even know it. 
until it gets too bad. And you say, I feel fine. Hey, I'm okay. And yet the diagnosis is you're dead, you're dying. So don't go by your feelings. Go by the Word of God. Don't go by your feelings. Go by the Word of God. Word of God said all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. Jesus has paid the full price. Do you want to take a chance? And there is no chance, you see. Do you want to take a chance? Let's stand together. Let's bow our heads. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand on this. I'm going to pray, and that's all I'm going to do. If this morning you've come to the realization, I'm a part of Pharaoh's company. You've come to the realization, you know, I have never made an emphatic step of actually asking Jesus to forgive me and to give me eternal life and to confess my sin. I've never said that. I've never really... I've depended on whatever. This morning is your morning. The Lord wants to swallow up the work of Satan in you. So with every head bowed, if you would, if that is you, I'm not talking about for believers who are wrestling with issues. That's another issue. But just for those who have never called upon the name of the Lord. If that's who you are, every head bowed, if you raise your hand, all I'm going to do is pray. Any hands at all, anyone at all, that you would say, that's who I am. That's me. I see one hand. Any other hands? Anyone else? I wait one more moment. Anyone else? You think you're saved, you've been coming to church, been going to do things and this and that, but you kind of dependent on a whole lot of other stuff. that person who raised his hand just in your own heart right now admit to the Lord you're a sinner and thank the Lord now for Jesus dying to pay for that sin and tell the Lord now You are receiving his gift of forgiveness in Christ. And thank him for saving you. If you meant that in your heart, the Bible says we will be saved. church we serve an awesome God so let's let it be known in song that the heavens may know and especially that Pharaoh may know that our God is an awesome God
Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power. Love our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power. Love our God is an awesome God. Our God. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven up wisdom top love. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom top love. Our God is an awesome God. Our God. Our an awesome God, He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, love. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an Lord, we thank you for your awesomeness, your power, God, your might. Lord, would we walk in that truth this week. We serve a God whose name is above all names, who has erased all our sin. God, would that truth be our mantra this week, we pray. You're an awesome God. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. If you're new here, we'd love to have lunch with you upstairs, so come join us. Thank you.